This episode of Day 2 Cloud is brought to you in part by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online IT training from IT Pro TV. And we have a special offer for all you amazing Day 2 Cloud listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. ITPro.tv slash Day 2 Cloud and use promo code Cloud at checkout to save 30% off all plans. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we're going to have a frank discussion about what marketing does, maybe some things that it doesn't do great, and how ops is awesome with our guest, Gina Rosenthal, the founder of Digital Sunshine Solutions. What jumped out to you, Ethan, in the conversation? Well, you think as an engineer, I don't want to hear about marketing. Yeah, you do, because you want to understand what the marketing folks are trying to communicate to you and whether or not they care about you. And this is something that Gina helped uh, helped us to understand, this, this move, Ned, from marketing folks not really caring about ops folks and moving over to the developer community more. Although that seems to be changing and, and we think that move is um, short-sighted. I think we're, we're on top of the cresting wave of ops becoming ascendant again. So, I, you know, listen, make your own judgments. Enjoy this conversation with Gina Rosenthal, the founder of Digital Sunshine Solutions. Well, Gina, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. We're very excited to have you on the show. This is your first time. So for folks who aren't familiar with you, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, I'm Gina Rosenthal. Right now, I have founded my own company called Digital Sunshine Solutions. I do product marketing as a service for B2B technical companies. And that's what I've done for probably the last 10 years. So I am from Northwest Florida. I went to Florida State and I have degrees in information studies, which is all about um, trying to figure out how people find information and setting things up and one in education called instructional systems, figuring out if people, what's the best way to make people perform better? Like, do they need a pay raise? Do they need training? Do they need you to turn the air conditioner up or whatever? So, um, I've, but I've worked in tech my entire career. So I started at EMC, I was a technical trainer and then I did some sysadmitting when I lived up North and went back to EMC as a trainer and started social media at EMC, was one of the first bloggers, and got recruited away by Dell and brought back south to Austin, Texas, where I still am, um, um, to build their storage communities. And um, became very clear to me at, after that, that as social media became to be adopted, easier to do than it was when we started. When we started, it was kind of hard. You had to know HTML. You had to know how to tie things together. Once the tools became easier for marketers to use and they figured out that, yeah, this is a good way to use, reach the audience, it got subsumed by marketing. So I, I started doing product marketing, which I love because product marketing is where you have product, you know the market, you research the market, and you try to figure out, okay, who is our buyer? How should we put this into market? Where should we put this into market? How do we help sales understand it more? How do we train sales? How do we train partners? Um, and I've done that for 10 years for different companies and I really like it a lot. Which is so funny that you put it that way because when you're the buyer, you assume that the person who's created the product and selling the product understands exactly who the buyer is because that's why they <laughs> created it, right? And then you find out that the job of the marketer is so much more complicated. It's not as simple as all that. 
Well, if you work in a place where that, and I've only worked in a couple of places where that's really well done by the product manager, product managers are supposed to do all that before they figure out, okay, we're going to make this product or we're going to upgrade this product. What is needed in the market? What can we sell? And let's just push all the engineers to do that. And then they hand you a nice piece of documentation if you're the product market. And you say, oh, this is great. Let me check this. And I'm going to check the market. Then I'm going to write the messaging. And I'm going to pass that over to the downstream marketers who do all the digital stuff and the social stuff and all the fluffy stuff that I'm really not that great at. Mm. And um, (laughs) that doesn't happen a lot of times. Sometimes it's so... That you, uh, if you have a product that's acquired by acquisition, that's you won't have anything. You Mm -hmm. probably don't even have a product manager coming in from the acquisition. So someone gets assigned in a big corporation and they're off to the races trying to maintain sales. And nobody has written any of this content down that why we made the product in the first place. (laughs) So you would think that you would know who the audience is. And I think they have an idea of it, but. Yeah, sometimes that doesn't exist. And then the product marketers have to deliver it and go back, work with the product manager and say, is this where we were going with this? And they have to go, I don't know, let me talk to the engineers. And it's like, why are the engineers driving? But okay, let's go. So it's a it's a big thing. Yeah, it sounds like a big game of telephone and a lot of miscommunication can happen across those lines. Very easily. There's also this assumption that the people writing the marketing copy understand what the product actually does and how it does it. And again, that's a big assumption that time and time again is proven wrong. Yeah, that was one of my very favorite things to do when I was working at, especially once I started doing marketing at Dell, uh, we'd be in a, a meeting room, like a launch kickoff, right? So you'd have the engineer, couple of engineers, you'd have the product manager, me, and then the marketers that were going to put it on the web and arrange the campaigns and like all the rest of it to get the product sold. And you'd see all the technical people, including me like vibing, like, oh my God, this is going to be great. We could do this. We could do that. And we like vibing on the ideas and they're just scribbling. The marketers like writing, writing as fast as they can. So I'd wait till everybody else left the room and I'd be like, do you guys understand anything we just talked about? And they'd be like, no. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we'll have a meeting and it's no judgment at all. You guys can ask me whatever you need to ask me and I'll explain it until you get it. And the reason I did it was like twofold. We were talking about this earlier. Like, I hated it when I would get a document and I'd have to change, you know how it is. If you change two or three words, sometimes technically it changes the meaning technically Mm -hmm. and they would do it to make it, you know, marketers do things to make it fit the size that it can be and the English that it should be. And so once I started teaching the marketers, this is what this means that stopped. I didn't have to argue with them anymore. And what I found was once I started teaching them, oh, do you know what a VM is? No. Do you, do, do, do you guys been to the data center? No. <laughs> okay, field trip. <laughs> like all of these things you wouldn't think about, but you've got people that are very good at writing marketing copy. And marketing's not an easy job. So like some of the things you have to do that are, are pretty technical for marketing is when you're doing a campaign, you have to measure it. Sales is giving you money to bring them leads. So you have to measure what, what, what you're spending the money on. So you have people that are amazingly technical at figuring out the grids underneath social, underneath Google to, to provide that. So um, they make sure that you don't have typos. They make sure, uh, just a lot of things, they make sure everything goes together in a package and makes sense. So when they understand what a virtual machine is, when you teach them what containers are, Instead of coming back to you arguing that this is the the messaging, we're going to have to go by this strictly, they come back to you with questions like, why are we saying this? Don't you think people would like to know this instead? And they're 
they're right on and they can write some real fluffy stuff that makes sense to our audience instead of fighting you about should we put these two words this way or that way you know (laughs) yeah 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 there is a there is a contention there between wanting to effectively communicate something and doing it at, at one level, one perspective, the marketing perspective, but then as someone who's very technical, wanting to communicate something that's very detailed where nuance matters and the way in which you use mm-hmm. a term in a sentence or in a paragraph can matter. And if you begin to change words around because its structure looks better, it communicates more effectively, you've lost something important that as a technical person, you want to communicate. Now, I haven't been on the marketing side of the house, but doing writing for tech publications, I've had this challenge with editors sometimes where I'll write something that's very precise to communicate something very specific. And then the editor changes it to simplify it or tighten it or whatever, all those good English reasons you'd want to do that. It's like, yeah, but we just lost something important. We just lost a, a, a needed technical communication. So there is a, a, a fight there. Um, but as you say, Gina, it sounds like if you do it well with the right education of the marketing person editing that copy, you can still get better copy that communicates correctly. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we when we're doing tech field day, sometimes and people say, oh, the marketing people made me show this. It makes me so angry because the marketing people, you know, if they don't have somebody helping them from a technical perspective, understand what the hell they're writing about. Of course, it's going to it's not going to be right. They can't. How they're supposed to half the time. We don't know what things are and we have to dig and poke and prod and ask the questions. And it is like you say, Ethan, just very precisely the way you have to say some things for the technical meeting to come through. How the hell is a marketer going to know that without somebody showing them? Like, honestly. So and it's not like it's something that's so mystical and magical. Only we can figure it out. You know what I mean? So like, and they don't need to know to the depths that we do, but they need to know what they're talking about. Well, there is the title of technical marketing engineer, those people that have typically worked in the space and then you know moved into the marketing world and have that strong technical background. Most marketers are not that and need to be educated to understand the product that they're communicating about, right? No, exactly. And I think this is a role that you know product marketing people and technical marketers could play. Um, the challenge becomes, I think, for technical marketers, is they have such a long list of things to knock out. And if it's a company that's moving fast, which is everybody right now, there's a long list of content to create. So they sometimes just want to stay huddled in their labs and doing things. And they may not they may not understand how valuable the marketers see them as well. So if a marketer has a campaign, like going back to the whole campaign structure, the stuff I don't do well is the fluffy stuff, like the stuff you see on Twitter and LinkedIn. And you can tell if you see my posts, they suck. So, and I have someone that does it for me. She's way better than me. And she's also technical. So it kind of works good. It's really fast. But that's kind of the stuff that the marketers are in control of. But they'll always have a click here to go to a piece of content. That piece of content is usually something the technical marketers write. And I think the marketers love it when the technical marketers can just like push it all out there. They love that content because they can link to it. It is a proof point for the campaign they're building and it becomes something that they know that's what the technical people want to see is the real deep stuff. They know the technical people don't care about their tweets and their LinkedIn posts or their emails that they send. So they try to make them look good enough to get to the point where they see that, oh, go read this really cool 
thing or watch this cool video that our technical marketer did. And, and that should, and what it basically is from a product perspective, I've got this product. I'm trying to get your attention out in the world, right? So marketers try to get your attention, but then, okay, what we're saying is really true because look, this technical guy that you probably follow on Twitter, he wrote all this stuff and he he did the video and he took the screenshots. It proves what we're saying is true. Don't you want to talk to a salesperson? That's kind of the whole marketing game, right? So it starts with grabbing your attention because attention is very limited, but then there has to be a payoff. Otherwise I'm going to ignore anything you post from here on out because you grabbed my attention once and then you wasted my attention. And that's the worst. Yep. It's absolutely. I think the technical marketers are really important. I think if we could get over this, um, the stigma against marketers in general that are not technical, that would be really good. And to understand if you're in a, on a team selling a product, if, if you can help educate them a little bit and be nice to them, they're totally going to, they're knowing they're going to cover you when you don't have time to do the stuff you have to do. They're going to protect your time to get it done. Um, and everybody putting good into the universe is always good. Raising that vibration, like be nice to marketers. <laughs> There's this almost stigma against marketing and sales. If you're in a, in a more technical role, you look down upon those people, or at least that's, that's a prevailing trend. And it's certainly something I was guilty of earlier on in my career was looking down on them. Oh, they do the sales and marketing. They're not important. I'm the genius out here deploying <laughs> the solutions or making the thing. They, uh, I don't even know what they do. And obviously that's, that's a terrible uh, attitude to have. And I've changed my thinking since then. Now I assume competence. I am good in the thing that I do. And I assume that what you do is probably important to the business. Otherwise they wouldn't be paying you to be here. And I also assume that you're competent at that thing. So let me leverage your competence and you leverage mine. And maybe we can do something awesome together. Yeah, exactly. I think I had that say, I was the same way. And um, for me, it was a, a, it was like doubled. Um, from the sexism part of things, right? Because I would be seen as a marketer and I wasn't. Um, and that used to bother me. And I'm like, I'm not a marketer. I'm technical. Quit doing that. And to the point that when I became a marketer, I'd say, I'm not a marketer and I would get in trouble. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> I think what turned for me when I was at EMC still, a marketing person and I had to work together on building the proven professional community online because um, it was already a community. Um, and she was great. And she, we, we ended up doing this presentation internally. And then at social media conferences, we called it our peanut butter and chocolate presentation, because basically she would talk about, here's how you use social media for marketing. And I'd be like, here's how you want to talk to technical people. And kind of started back then, but she was, um, Nata Wheelock was her name. And she was just a fantastic marketer and like great, great to work with. And, you know, once you start working closely with somebody, you do start you know, let me, you're competent, I'm competent, let's work together. Good yeah. point. The the impetus and behind uh, having you <laughs> on the show was actually, I mean, it's very germane to all the things that we've been talking about is you wrote a post on your website called, is the age of cis admins behind us? And it was very, very about how the messaging behind the marketing has been driven towards a particular group. And that group is not sysadmins. And as someone who's a former and recovering sysadmin, I felt seen because yeah, (laughs) reading the marketing that comes out of a lot of tech, tech companies, I don't feel like it's speaking to me at all. I feel like they're speaking to somebody else and I'm just ancillary to the conversation. 
but I want to know what, what drove you to write the post? <sighs> well, I was inside VMware when all this started, <laughs> I'll be honest. And I was working um, in the vSphere BU and I was working supporting Dell. So as, as ad many as you can get. Mm-hmm. And also I was a sysadmin. Um, and I see it and I was a sysadmin and the very end of that, I started doing build, re- build and release for the engineers. I actually migrated all of the CVS servers onto one SVN servers. Like I have done a lot of things that developers now are calling their own. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the, I, I don't know where this is coming from, but I, I know that the marketing from infrastructure companies that are trying to, trying to turn the corner as we're in this late stage uh, digital transformation time period, they're trying to turn the corner and go with it. They don't know what to do except for to go after developers because that seems to be the big thing. Um, developers are engineers. Developers write code. Now, just because everything can, infrastructure can be written as code and should actually, I think, be written as code now, doesn't mean that that's what developers should be sending their time on or that they want to spend their time on. Mm -hmm. So if you have a company like VMware, when their main revenue comes from virtualization and VMs, that's what the workloads run on are VMs, then that is an infrastructure company that should not have a hard time sliding into this digital transformation that's going on. But you're going to have to have somebody running the infrastructure. And I do not see them doing that. And as things started getting heated up at as VMware Explore, uh, started to hear rumors that it wasn't for vAdmins and that vAdmins should just go ahead and retire and be done with it. And they don't need to come to, to this if they don't, they don't need to come if they don't like it. Which is ridiculous. This could have been their biggest VMworld ever, or VMware Explorer, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I was and, just on and, the and VMworld that... Explorer briefing, pre-briefing yesterday, so it's too early for me to disclose details. But um, I don't think they went that hard left into the developer world. They're still they're <laughs> still talking infrastructure people. Yeah. Anyway, which is good, but I think that that's what you see externally is everything concentrated on. And it kills me because I, when we were there, we, we talked about all of this and how to, how to help admins. So if, if you look at doing infrastructure as code, which is, you know, I think where admins are going to go, you've got a V admin, a network admin, a sysadmin, a storage admin, a backup admin, all of those rules change and evolve, but, but it's not going to be overnight. It'll take another 10 years or so, right? But you need people that have that skill set that have lived through the fires and have slept under the conference room table, which is always my (laughs) way to put it. If you've slept under a conference room table, you've got the, you know, you've got experience doing what you need to do. And you learn a lot of lessons that way. So all of that knowledge can't go away. And developers don't know what they don't know. And they don't want to know. That's why they've started this whole idea of having SREs and, and having someone on their team to help do things for them. And for a single application or division, that might make sense. But for an entire organization, you're not going to have 
this application does the infrastructure this way and that application is going to do it a different way. That's not how this is going to work out. You're going to need infrastructure people to work together to get it done and you need those experiences to happen. So this is me just ranting and I feel bad. So let me wrap it up and say, <laughs> if, you know, if you're an infrastructure company like a VMware or a Cisco or a NetApp or a Dell, you need to make sure that your core products are being uh, marketed to the, the admins, whatever admin it is. And maybe the, the thing is, is we're, this is how you make self-service for your developers is how you give your developers what they want, but you need all this stuff and your experiences that need to come from inside your company. And as well as your, um, as just in general, we need those still. Are we just talking about a shift towards DevOps, Gina? Is that all what this is getting at? DevOps. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to be rude. <laughs> Let me not be rude. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Um, I was doing DevOps back when I was doing, you know, system admitting. You have to. If you went through one time where an application couldn't get pushed from, from testing to prod because the developers did something dumb, like, oh, we didn't know you had an F5. I, this code's not going to work. No, it's not going to work. And I'm not pushing it out. And then having VPs you've never met before in your cube yelling at you to push it out <laughs> sucked. Like you learned from that experience. Okay, you're my friend, Mr. Engineer, and we're going to work on this from the beginning to make sure you know what my infrastructure works like so that you can build stuff to work. So if you worked in places like that, you've always done DevOps. This has always been the push and pull. And I think what happened was when the public cloud came along, they were like, doesn't IT suck? They're too slow. Give us your credit card. Come and put all your workloads here. And that's what happened. And then all of a sudden, engineers have lots of stuff up there like, oh, crap. Now we've got to know networking and this and that. And how do we make sure it stays up? If, if you know, how do we make sure we have resiliency? How, all the rest of it. That's what operations people do. And that's how you got that's what DevOps is supposed to be. That's what the SREs are supposed to be. Yeah. So that is how it should work. You should have like in a perfect world, I'll have, and I think organizations, some of the companies I'm working with, that's how the organizations they sell are working. You have a massive organization with lots of different applications. You have an application owner, you have a DevOps, SRE, whatever engineer that works with, that's the key person for that application as well, that works with the application owner, but is assigned to, but works up through the IT chain. You have an architect whose responsibility for uh, the application is to work with the other architects for different applications in the organization to develop a, a library of tools that are approved for use. We're going to use Kubernetes or we're going to use Docker. We're going to use VMware or we're going to use KVM. Like this is how we get it. And this is what we're going to use for backups. This is what, these are our library of tools that you can choose from so that your SRE person can't go and invent the wheel. He can maybe find something good to push it up the edge. But this is kind of like a new area that we're getting into. So, so, so getting back to the marketing aspect of this, are we saying that people that are, People who are operations focused and are delivering their infrastructure, their operation style is is DevOps, is SRE, is infrastructure, is code. Are we saying all of these people that we need to become developers to get the marketing tooling and the marketing messaging aimed back at us so that they care about us again? I just want someone to care about me, Gina. 
Well, I think we have to educate the marketers. I think maybe that's where it starts. Although then it's also going to have to be educating sales because sales is what's pushing it. We need to chase those developers because that's where it's at. They use, this is everything's going to be as code. So obviously developers have to do it. Don't y'all get mad when you hear that? I mean, did y'all write in Perl and shell scripts? I used to do set and awk. We used to have contests and I'd win them how little my set and awk was. <laughs> so like, you know, like operations people code. But so if we have infrastructure as code, that's because operations people can code. I think that what has to happen is there has to be just this recognition that DevOps operations is the ops in DevOps. And if you have an operations platform that you're trying to sell, you're going to want to talk to your operations people and help maybe help them see, hey, this is a backup product that we're going to sell. And and this is what it looks like. And this is how it's different than backup products you've used before. But this is what you're going to make your developers life so happy because they're never going to see it. They're never going to see it at all. You are highlighting something that does seem to be the reality we're living in, which is there's this idealized notion that developers are just going to be able to consume infrastructure and not have to think very hard about it. And it's just all going to work and it's going to be magical. And that's what DevOps was supposed to bring to us. But that's not reality. Reality is developers are developers. They want to write code. They don't want, they, they admittedly don't want to have to think about infrastructure. They don't know and they don't want to know, as I think how you put it earlier, Gina. And therefore mm-hmm. you still have ops people that are dedicated to infrastructure and building out that infrastructure and architecture people who understand the infrastructure and how to build business resiliency into that architecture and uh, and have build an build a platform that the application is going to run effectively on there is still definitive roles there dev has not able to eliminate ops dev has not been able to so easily consume ops that it just becomes you know the need for operations folks become obviated and so going back to your point here about educating marketers. Yeah. And salespeople, who are you selling to? These roles still exist in these organizations. So you got to communicate with those folks that are still there. Despite the idealized notion of DevOps, that's not become reality. You've still got this market out there to sell to. Absolutely. I think I blame the public clouds a lot for it, right? And they did what they had to do to, to gain adoption and they did a great job of it. But what they don't what everybody forgets is the public clouds offer this great consumable uh, platform for developers that they really, they have to think some and they have to have someone helping them out the bigger the application gets. They don't see it all the way down to the metal because the public cloud takes care of that for them. That's what they're paying for. So there's still people doing some really cool operational stuff to make those platforms invisible to the developers. So, you know, I think that's probably a tactic different vendors could use is like we can help you make this like a cloud your developers are never going to see this they don't want to see it we're going to make it easier for you guys to figure out how to run this as code to run this like the public clouds do because this isn't even getting to the point that like not everything can go in the cloud you know and there needs to be choices if i'm an architect i need to figure out this is the application how we want to use it where it's going to be consumed is the public cloud the best way to go or do I have other choices? So I think that's another piece of it. I'm going to interrupt the podcast for a minute here to talk about IT training. You remember the ransomware attack on the gas pipeline last year? It caught your attention probably, caught mine. There's a key thing here. 
cybersecurity professionals are in demand to prevent that kind of thing, but there are not enough humans out there to fill all the positions. There's over 500,000 open cybersecurity roles. You can become a cybersecurity professional if you get some training, some online training. It is never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder. IT Pro TV has you covered for your training. They cover everything. CompTIA to Cisco to EC Council to Microsoft. They, they've got all of it, including the cloudy stuff. More than 5,800 hours of on-demand training. And, and the way they present the information, you know, some presenters are like, they're reading from the book and they're super boring. That is not IT Pro TV's format at all. They use engaging hosts that they're going to present the information in a talk show format and really keep it interesting. And they do it live. They, they're live every day. And then once they recorded that live show, it goes studio to web in 24 hours. As you're digging through their website, looking for content, all the courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, job role. You can find what you're looking for without a lot of trouble. And then when you pick the thing and you're ready to go, you can stream IT Pro TV's courses, uh, either the live stuff or the on-demand stuff from anywhere in the world via whatever platform you like, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or there's apps on iOS or Android. Learn IT, pass your certs, and then get a great job, maybe in cybersecurity, with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash day2cloud for 30% off all plans. Use promo code cloud at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash day2cloud. Day2cloud is day, the number two, cloud, and then use promo code cloud at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash day2cloud and use promo code cloud at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now let's get back to the podcast. I, you, you bring up two good points, and I want to sort of zoom in on both of them. The first is that you're absolutely right. The way that the public clouds marketed, especially AWS and Google, Azure to a lesser extent, because they had that enterprise relationship, but really the other two aggressively marketed to developers saying, hey, you know, all you have to do is swipe the credit card. You can have your application up and running in, in minutes. And that was great for the proof of concept. That was great when you had 100 users. But as soon as you had 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 users, suddenly ops became really important. And it's not the cloud wasn't doing everything. The cloud was doing what, what you said. They're, they're managing the metal. They're managing the hypervisors. But everything above that, that still needs an ops person. Uh, and all of the crazy infrastructure stuff, Ned, the, all the uh, uh, availability zones and, and resilience and uh, where do I need to actually host this app? And should I stick this in uh, behind a load balancer and uh, IP addressing? How is that going to look? And, and so on. All of that stuff a developer definitely doesn't want to think of. Um, making the hype, the hypervisor layer, that's the, the table stakes, the easy stuff that, yeah, it's very convenient to not have to think about that. But the rest of it, an application platform, a delivery platform that can be global and scale as big as you need without you having to think about it and controls costs effectively. You know, another favorite topic we have here on day two cloud, no dev wants to have to think about that and couldn't think about it and be a developer. Yeah. So I guess the, the question is, did they get stuck in that marketing mentality and never evolved to the next step of, oh, your application has now hit enterprise level production grade. Now we also need to reach out and get pull in the ops folks to, to the marketing and get them excited about leveraging our platform as well. 
Well, I, I think you see some of that. Like, um, there's all sorts of free training for the clouds right now. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, some of it's pretty cool. You see some of that. I, I think there's a couple of things, right? I think number one, for um, some organizations, cloud is a religion, right? So like, right? So that this is the way it's going to be. We're never have ops folks. We're never have servers. What we do in ops? Don't call my SRE operations. So, okay. okay. So, so some of it's like, it's a religion. And then I think some of it is just looking at trends, right? This is, and that's where I think, I'm not sure how I got over indexed, but sometimes, and you guys, I'm contrary, y'all know that. So I'm like, why are people saying that's dumb? So, but, but if you've got, if you, if you go and look at things and the analysts all say this and they show you this percentage of growth happened by putting it in this cloud or that cloud, I think if you just go by those numbers, and if you hire people into a traditional operations type of vendor to make it cloudy, and that's all they see, they don't they have experience with the cloud part, but not the actual operations part. Sometimes I see that over indexing happening in companies like that too, without the reality of okay, that's great, but we got to bring this entire operations crowd with us, you know. Distributed computing is so hard. It's incredibly difficult. You can't do it without people that are specialists at it. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> the other point you brought up, which I think is really important, is the idea of extending the cloud down into traditional data centers through the tooling that will appeal to operations folks who are managing the like the platform that exists today is that do you, have you seen anybody really start nailing that messaging to the ops folks is of bringing your cloud down to on-prem? I've seen some, and I'm helping a couple of clients to do that as well. So like, I don't want it to bite them to horn horn, but um, I, I think it's just inevitable. If you look at just kind of how cloud operations work, and, and we're talking about, like, this is the other thing. This is why I go at the digital transformation so much. I had to market to that idea and make it force fit it when it wasn't really a thing. But at this point it is. We've done this transformation, I feel like all applications are going to change and be written in a container-like way. Can all applications consume the data they need to run in a public cloud? No. I mean, just data gravity itself says, no, if I've got all of the, I'm not going to put all of my data in a cloud because I can't. And the other thing is just security things. There's not going to always happen. Or think of where data is created on the edge from little devices, Maybe that has to, there has to be different things going on. One complete cloud thing I've seen, but it's not on-prem. I've seen a lot of really cool companies. I did some work for a company called um, EdgeGap that's in the gaming sector. Gaming sector has some pretty cool stuff going on to look at. Now their, their platform is all in the cloud, but what it does is it looks to see where VMs should be spun up. So if you're, if you're playing, um, a game lag is the worst thing that could ever happen to you, right? So if I'm playing in, you know, if I'm playing outside of Tallahassee, Florida with somebody in Atlanta, they're probably going to have more AWS availability there than I have down in, you know, Apalachicola. So, um, which is down in the water. So um, in the country. So what they do is they figure out where people are and where, where VMs with the games on them need to be, well, containers need to be spun up to play the game. So everybody has a fair chance and the lag is lessened. 
So if you think about, so that's all in the clouds. That's one example where if I'm an architect, that makes sense for me to have it all in the cloud. But what if um, I had that as my one of my tools to use and I'm in Oklahoma way out in the country and um, maybe I set up, maybe there's a, a colo and I set up some real servers there. And when the kids on the reservation want to play with the kids in Austin, and have a contest, then maybe that's where they, I can choose to have them spun up. I think it's more thinking about it as not cloud versus on-prem, but as my application. Where does my application, where is it going to be consumed? And by whom? And Or by what? And does it necessarily have to be by a person, right? Mm. And do I have the ability to spin up the infrastructure where it needs to be um, for whatever, whoever is consuming the application in the best way. And then do I have the ability to spin it all down? And does that have to be cloud or can I, you know, does it, do I have to think of a way to do that in a physical way? I think it's, it expands from an operations standpoint. Everything we've always wanted to do is all automatically like, oh man, have all the choices. And I think we keep thinking of things as on cloud or on prem, it kind of limits us to, that but if you open your head and be like, okay, infrastructure exists for applications. So what tools do I have to make my application I'm responsible for run the best it possibly can? And then what does it take to do the data center hygiene, data center being a big nebulous word right now, to do the proper hygiene on all of those different elements so everything stays up, I don't lose data, I don't get hacked, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. It's thinking of cloud as an operational model, yes, as a cost model, and and those kinds of things, and not as a place. It's it's not up in the cloud or on premises. It's are you working in a way that is cloud operations friendly, and that implies you need operations people, <laughs> that right? Developers. So I'm curious yeah. to get your thoughts. We obviously, you know, some of us have stopped being systems administrators and do <laughs> bigger and brighter things. Uh, and there needs to be a backfill of folks who are coming in and learning the ropes and becoming the new, if they don't want to be sysadmins, they can be SREs, you know, whatever, they, whatever the new title is, the, the, the core concept that you're in operations still, still counts. What can we do to bring in the new generation and get them prepped to be good at operations? Well, you never get at operations till you break stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> then I'm an expert. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, because it was hard. We were talking about that before, like where we went to college and, and things. I mean, I'm from a very small town in Northwest Florida and I went to community college and I, I did EET, electronic engineering technology, and was lucky to get any coding in. I was lucky to be able to do COBOL <laughs> and see <laughs> until I went to Florida State. But I think that some of it is, um, some of it has to be getting rid of this wizard type mentality of being a sysadmin, which it kind of is. And that's the cool part of it. <laughs> um, but, but that only graybeards can do it. And, you know, it, we, we've got to get people interested in coding. Because I, I think that that's going to be, and maybe that's the way to, I'm kind of talking about that. I think maybe that's the way to get people to do operations now is you have to be able to code. 
you have to be able to script. I mean, if infrastructure is going to be code, you have to at least be able to understand how to tweak it for what you're working on and how everything fits together. And I, I think that's maybe that's it. We just make it sound cool. You got to be able to code to do infrastructure. And it's more important than writing software. <laughs> that's an interesting point, because I think right now, if you're looking into the field of IT, the areas or just the field of technology in general, the, the, the sexy roles are all developer roles, right? You can come and be a developer and earn six, seven figures with your developer uh, experience. And you don't hear that same sort of level of excitement around the, the ops roles. It's like, you could be a data scientist, you could be a developer, you could be in security, or you could be ops. And so maybe we need, we need to bring make ops sexy, right? Wait, was it ever sexy? Let's be honest. Oh. <laughs> it never was. Um, yeah, maybe or maybe just, you know, when you said that, the first thing that popped into my mind was a new infrastructure bill. This has to be, well, it is, right? So like part of the, the other bill that, you know, they passed here in the U.S. was the one for the chips. That's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Um and scary in another side for me, but, but it's huge. And I think you look at, I think there's a huge Intel plant being built in Ohio. There's every single major chip except for Intel is in, is in Texas and in central Texas area, um, getting ready to build manufacturing plants. So that's number one is that part's going to come through. I feel like this is what happened when I got into things too, right? Like the mainframes were just going out and Solaris was at its peak and getting ready to go into Linux, right? Getting ready to x86. So uh, there was stuff to do with the manufacturing of the hardware, which is what's coming up. And everything has changed with hardware. And is that in itself is you could geek out on forever and ever, like what's changed with hardware? Because it's really cool. It's really cool stuff that's happened. But then you have to have people that are able to manage that hardware so that it can be used by developers. And now the way to manage it isn't, I mean, I thought kicks, I thought I was so cool because I could do kickstart and jumpstart. You just like, <laughs> you can make it do it by itself. You don't have to install it with the CDs. This is amazing. So like, I thought that was cool, but like infrastructure is code and being able to run it, whatever tool you're going to use to run things and you just make it as code and you tweak it as things change. That's amazing. So I don't know, maybe we should just, we should just start a PSA. So people that are in school now, because I think that this is stuff that you can definitely work from home and do, you know, right. and, and and this would be stuff for people like me, single moms that that want to learn to do something when their kids are asleep. That's what I did. My kids would go to sleep, but do my homework, you know. So there's also a fair point to make that the kind of the level of coder you need to be to pull off interacting with infrastructure as code is a different animal from being a full blown applications developer, a gaming yeah. developer, something like that. It tends to be uh, procedural and a straightforward way that you understand from your thinking processes the amount of the the constructs within a programming language that you need to get your head around to be able to do what you do tend to be pretty limited. And that's whether you're using a general purpose language or a domain specific language. There's not as much craziness that you might need to do. Someone who wants to learn C or Python or whatever it is, if they start looking through the documentation and go, holy crap, I am never gonna learn all this. Yeah, yeah. you don't need to, you really don't. It's so much easier what you need to do as a coder dealing with infrastructure as code, I think. 
learning some basic logic constructs and learning looping and uh, learning how variables work and being able to store things in a database and do some API calls and uh, work with structured data. You can get your head around that fairly quickly and there's lots of education for it. And uh, which I guess my, my bigger point here is being a developer who does application development with a complex UI and um, all sorts of different systems that you maybe need to interact with to deliver that app is a different thing than being a coder that deals with infrastructure as code and not not as difficult of a learning curve, I don't think. I agree. I think that's a really good point. I'm trying to think. I think I learned Bash from Sun, <laughs> from a Sun mm. clash. That's really all you need is Bash or I don't know what else you would need. Yeah, I mean, if you're just getting started, one of the yeah. things that I've seen more of, but I think it was, especially for the general purpose programming languages, almost all of the getting started uh, guides out there are for building an application. So here, we're going to build a simple grocery store application, or we're going to build a, a simple... I don't know, whatever it is, a voting application or something. But for the person who's more looking to apply that to an operations type role, it would be better to have a getting started where you're not building an application, you're deploying an application or you're building the infrastructure to run it or you're managing yeah. something. And if you look at stuff that is purely focused on infrastructure as code, and I'm going to bring up Terraform because of course I am. Yeah. Uh, they're getting started is not building an application. They're getting started as spinning up an EC2 instance because that's something that you would actually do. And if we had the same examples for Python or I'm trying to think of other languages that would come like Python or TypeScript or something like that, that would be really useful. And you are seeing a little bit of that with companies like Pulumi that have yeah. that more infrastructure ops bent to them. Yeah, I think uh, I work with Rackin. So you see that they're working on making that simpler because it is definitely, if, if you're an ops person experienced, it's not that hard to figure it out, but they're working on making their simpler. But going back to your idea, like I, I think that like before to set up a web and a website, like the LAMP stack, you would have to have a server and some VMs. If you're able to do this, maybe that's a good way to teach people infrastructure as code is here's how, what you would do. You would spin up three servers, you would spin up three VMs, and then now you install the LAMP stack. And here's like how it do. I think that's a great idea of, because and the reason I say the LAMP stack is because then you could install WordPress or something. Yeah. And that's, I think what a lot of newbies understand how to install that. Yeah. And so if you show them how to do the infrastructure part, I think that could be really, I think those are all really good points. It's not as hard as building a, a, a full-blown application and there needs to be a, a good how-to that people get. The other thing I would bring up is, at least in my experience, a lot of the user groups that are cloud-focused are focused on the developers. So the first time I went to the local, local Azure user group, it was 99% developers and me. And I was like, hey. <laughs> and they were all talking about .NET and stuff. And I was like, but what about this cool new service in like Azure storage or something? And they're like, uh, who are you? <laughs> Why aren't you talking about Blazor or something? And I was like, I don't, I don't know, I'm here. So I think getting involved or starting some sort of user group or community that's more ops focused would probably be beneficial and having some of us who are a little more seasoned or experienced uh, for better or for worse involved it is probably a good idea. So I, I try to stay somewhat involved, but I, I would say just like as a thing for all the listeners out there, 
Go out and get involved. If you if you've got 20 years of experience in IT, it's time to to help out the people who are fresh, fresh into it and and point them in the right direction, which is obviously the ops direction. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing. If you ever meet an ops person, like I think there's so many good things about being an ops person. There's so much we can be proud of. Like we're the ones that understand what's really happening with the application. We're the ones that really understand what's going on with the data and what goes wrong and where the holes are. And it's, and nobody listens to us a lot of the times, but I love being right. So I love being an ops person. (laughs) Well, I think that's, that's a really good note to ride out on. You love being an ops person. I do too. And you know, listener, if you're, if you're not already an ops person, then come, come join us. We have cookies. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Gina, if folks want to hear more from you, where are some good places they can reach out on the internet and find you? On Twitter, Gminks, G-M-I-N-K-S. And um, you can check out my website, Digital Sunshine Solutions with an S.com. Awesome. Well, Gina Rosenthal, thank you so much for appearing on Day 2 Cloud today. And hey, listeners out there, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day 2 Cloud Show. Ethan and I both monitor that account. Or if you're not a Twitter person, understandable, you can fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. Hey, uh, if you've got a way cool cloud product that you want to share with our audience of IT professionals, and boy, is this an appropriate ending for this episode. If you want to market to the ops people, we make decisions too. You could become a day two cloud sponsor. You'll reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. Maybe your product fixes their problem, but they'll never know unless you tell them about your amazing solution. You can find out more at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. Until next time, just remember cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.